The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najeri and Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, it's a Starbucks stealth rally. The coffee giant soaring 16% in just the past three months. And now hedge fund billionaire Bill Ackman is betting big on this stock. Is an even bigger rally brewing? Plus, moments ago, Brewing. President Trump with a simple message to Fed Chair Jerome Powell, slow it down. Could a war be brewing with the Federal Reserve? We start with the material warning. Sound the alarm. Warning. The warning. sector far warning. and away the worst performing warning. down more than 3%. Warning. The sell-off picking up steam after chemical warning. giant PPG warning. Industries warned of higher warning. input costs ahead of its earnings report. And then just moments ago, warning. Procter & Gamble saying it's felt a financial impact warning. as well due to higher steel costs. Now, this has been an early but important theme. Moments ago, we also just found out that Peltz's Tryon just took a stake in PPG and sending that stock soaring in the after-hours session by that 6%. So is this a warning to the rest of the market that earnings season could actually be shaping up to be a season of pain. Well, the season of pain might be a little extreme, but it's definitely a warning. You can't, I mean, Pepsi said something a week, week yep. and a half ago as well. Higher input costs. I mean, inflation is here whether we realize it or not, whether the Fed wants to acknowledge it or not, whether the market wants to acknowledge it or not. So I think that, that higher input costs are a big deal. Now, the offside of that is the strong economy, they're going to be pass on these costs to the consumer. I don't know what the answer is. I will tell you, margins should go down. Earnings might be stretched, and it's not so much this earnings period I'm concerned about. It's the guidance going forward. You're talking to Kramer on uh, Power Lunch today, specifically about PPG. I said, is this a canary in the coal mine? He said, you know what? It's not a canary. It's a dead canary in a coal mine. Whoa! A dead canary that in the coal not, mine. That does and not then sound we get good. Nelson Peltz coming out today saying that he bought a stake. So does, does Peltz's action change in your view how you perceive the news out of PPG if you see somebody actually willing to step in? On this name. Well, dead canaries are, are they, they scare me. It sounds like a mob term, by the way. Guy, can you what verify is, so that? I don't even know what that I, I, means. I, 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 well, why do you put a guy? Why do you put a guy? Anyway, let's, right let's quickly move anyway, past so that. My, 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 my view is, first of all, I don't know when Nelson Peltz bought this steak. By the way, he could have bought it 10 days ago and not look so great right now. I'm not here to judge Nelson. Uh, my point is, I actually think that the material space, those, um, those companies that are producing assets that are part of an asset reflation story, if this is about inflation, I actually think some of this is actually good news. It's not... It's not bad news for everybody. And ultimately, asset prices are going higher. I think this is very good. Look, a lot of the resource companies that were dogs last year are actually quietly having stellar years. And I'm talking about people like Volley and Sassol and petrochemicals companies. They're actually doing quite well. So there are people that benefit in this part of the economy. And I actually don't think this is, a, a, you know, a, a, I don't know, a dead canary. I do think that we are going to continue to is see inflationary pressures. It's, 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 An alive I don't one. think it's new. 
I, okay. I don't think we yeah, knew that this Kintari was involved. What's new in a company like this is that half their sales come basically from outside <laughs> the U.S. We have this situation where obviously, you know, emerging markets have been roiled by the rising dollar, by our higher rates, and all of a sudden now we have issues about demand. We have issues about supply chains, right? And I mean, this is a classic. We have issues example. about demand. Well, I mean, well, well, we could. We I mean, have, it sounds like we have cost issues, and, and I think inflation well, well, is a big actually, deal. Actually, it sounds like we have a little bit of both, and, and, and I guess the point is you could put it all together. Pete's just making—that's a look I haven't making seen. Making funny faces. No, I love it. I love listening What I'm saying is, though, it, it actually fits <laughs> in a lot of different narratives right yeah. now, and so I didn't see anybody stepping in to buy this stock when it closed at a 52-week low today. Uh, you know, you know, like just there's no bid for it. So. I think we've seen this with Pelt before. Didn't we see it with Proctor when he comes in and he gets a little jiggy with the activists? So you think he went and bought today? No. What I'm saying is, it's like, that's old news. Whatever his narrative was a couple months ago. He still ago, thinks a it's a, a dead ago. canary, basically. Yeah. He thinks it's a dead canary. But, I mean, the thing is that rising costs are fine as long as you can pass that cost on to the consumer, mm -hmm. right? Is this as long as there's demand. So, yeah. is there, so, so that's the critical question here. Sure. Even if you're facing rising costs, it's okay if I can charge you If you've more. got a great economy, but if you, you can say, charge no, more. No, right. thank you, Melissa. Right. I'm going to walk away yeah. and not buy that widget. Right. That's the problem. And that's why I smirked when you, when you said I gave you a look. Because, you know, demand-wise, we don't know really yet, right? I mean, I think one of the things is, also, is this too stock-specific right now, Mel? Because if you go back about a year and a half ago, two years ago, I'll never forget. Microchip comes out and they say, you know what? Nobody's buying our chips, basically, is what they said. Meanwhile, the rest of the chip market gets hit on that. And then it turns out really wasn't that bad. The semis actually moved to the upside and came back off of those lows. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. That, but, but that's one very small company. We're talking about a company that... that it didn't, didn't have any, but it but, wasn't but because everybody used that as the one demand. example to Aren't sell off. Are we starting to see these global PMIs much weaker than ours? I mean, isn't this kind yes. of fit into, yes. into the narrative a little bit? So we're talking about this company sells half of their $15 billion in total revenues outside the U.S. here. So that is the incremental growth that we're going to see, right? And so if we have a dollar that Dixie is trading back near these 52-week highs, we know that emerging markets in general have actually had some major palpitations because of our rapid rate increase. So to me, that's the next okay, leg Dan, of the story. So one of the things that we, we've been questioning for the last two months is how can U.S. markets levitate so far above global markets? And I think you're still back to that question because I, 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 don't, I don't think that these companies were in any different situation. Global PMIs were rolling two months ago. In fact, nine out of ten months, European PMIs are lower back to two 2016. So I agree with that point. I'm just saying yeah, that said, higher inflation is being passed through. Look at some of the consumer names. Look at fast food. Those guys have massive economically sensitive groups in our market right now act horrible. Autos, home builders, airlines, semiconductors, small caps have given back all of the gains since they broke out in May. I mean, I could keep going here. So when you talk about our market levitating, we're talking about 10 stocks. First and foremost, my MAGA, my four, okay, those things have $3.5 trillion of market cap in a $20 trillion market. So they are keeping this up. We see a lot of stocks in the S&P 500 that are not doing I well. I disagree with uh, yeah. the 10 stock example, by the way, really? as well. Yeah, they, yeah, they represent absolutely. all the 8% gains well, in the everybody loves to, they love Every to bring, last bit of it. <laughs> well, everybody loves to bring that up, but I mean, actually, you could go to old school tech, right? And you could actually say, you know what? All these stocks are either at highs or very close to their 52-week highs, right? I mean, when you look across the board and you look at Microsoft and you look at Apple and you look at Intel, Dude, you look at some of these Microsoft games. is in the MAGA. I mean, it's Microsoft, it's Apple, it's Google, but and why it's are energy Amazon. companies outperforming? You know, oil prices, they're well, out. Look what's happening to the dollar. How about Wait, Boeing? Hold on. What, what, what happened right. to oil when the dollar got decimated in 2014-15? It got cut in half. So we know what's and going on. the dollar went up. 
The dollar went up, oil got decimated. Well, well it's right. the opposite. Right, but it started It started to work its way back. One of, the, one of the big concerns quickly, and Dan's brought this up, should be, and a lot of companies bought things forward ahead of the tariff, so a lot of the GDP was inventory bills. Now, that's great if you can sell it in the next quarter, but if things don't move, then you have a problem. So is there going to be an inventory glut on the back end? I don't know the answer to that, by the way. But again, to my original point, I think so we're going to be fine. Brought forward, though. I mean, I, I, I think feel like we're question. suddenly freaking out over something that could be a canary, could be a dead canary, could be. But the, the bottom line is, we've seen a lot of these. Are signs you not over concerned one months. iota though when you hear? I'm from just PPG, trying to play the other side of this. From, no, I, I actually talk about that, inflation. I, I talk about global growth falling all the time. But put put aside the other side. How do you actually feel? Are you are you worried? Are you worried after you hear from PPG and Procter and Gamble and Pepsi? Are you starting to get worried that maybe? Companies will play it on the conservative side when it comes to earnings season and the conference calls and say, you know what, we are seeing higher costs creep in. I've heard, look, we've, we've heard on regional Fed surveys for a long time that they're seeing price inputs, that companies are cautious on ordering, that they can't find any skilled labor out there. So there's, there's problems. These are also champagne clauses on some level. These are bad problems uh, in a different economy. But in this economy, some of this doesn't mean the world's falling apart. What do you do in this kind of environment? I still think there's opportunities out there. You look every single day. Now, I found less today, but I found one later that I'm going to be pitching that I think is sure. a great opportunity. Nice yeah. tease. And it's nice a little tease, but I'm not going to bring it up yet. But, I mean, that's coming a little bit later wow, on. But, exciting. But I think there's always opportunities, Mel. I mean, it seems like there hasn't been a day that's gone by where there hasn't been an opportunity, particularly you're looking on these down days, because there are companies that have incredible balance sheets, great right. fundamental stories, and they're getting sold off, in my opinion, oftentimes for the wrong reasons. Do you recall the guests that we had yesterday night? Like an elephant. Like an elephant. So you do recall <laughs> Julian Emanuel, BTIG, down there saying that once you get through earnings season, we're going to hear enough from the companies and the cautious, cautious commentary, and the Fed may not raise in December. And then you asked me, is that a good thing or a bad thing for the market? And I, in my opinion, I don't know the answer, but I think if the Fed doesn't move in December, the knee jerk will be higher, but I think the market will then say, wait a second, what do they see that we're not seeing? I think that would actually be negative do for the market. Do you go as far as to say that the Fed would put its December hike on hold? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I think it would be a big mistake for confidence in the economony here. But they're not going to respond to that. They're, 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 they're data-driven. I don't think the Fed's going to suddenly say we're worried about the economy, All right, uh, well, the market. Speaking of the Fed and interest rates, President Trump is out with what sounded like a call to the Federal Reserve to slow things down, but at the same time stomping on fears about rising inflation. Let's get to Eamon Javers for more on that developing story. Eamon. Yeah, hi, Melissa. The president was getting on board Marine One as he left the White House. I had the opportunity to ask him about interest rates and mortgage rates and what his opinion is on all of that. Here's what the president said. Well, I like to see low interest rates. The Fed is doing what they think is necessary, but I don't like what they're doing because we have inflation really checked and we have a lot of good things happening. So I will say this, we're normalizing money and that's good, but I think we don't have to go as fast. I also asked the president if he's spoken to Fed Chair Jay Powell about all this, and he says he hasn't spoken to him. I asked him if he's met with Jay Powell at all this year, uh, and he said, look, I don't like to get involved. I don't like to get involved. So the president uh, signaling his displeasure here with the Fed uh, and in terms of the interest rate increases, but also signaling that he sort of respects that uh, independence of the Fed that's been traditional. This is not a traditional president, but at least in that regard, he's saying he's not going to get involved, although he is uh, very vocal in expressing his opinions about what the Fed ought to be doing. Yeah. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers, a reporting um, from the White House. He doesn't like to get involved, except that he likes no, to comment all well, about it on comments. TV, into the gaggles, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly, right. But you do your own thing, it's fine. <laughs> hey, what do you think the Fed actually does? And, and if the Fed is data dependent, could that data include 
the commentary from the conference calls during earnings season? I would think that they're definitely paying attention. I mean, they might not say it, but I think, think that they absolutely, you don't think so? I, I, I don't think, think they're they, listening to, I don't think they're listening to corporate conference calls and, and saying, oh, wow. Uh, you know, but I they're watching the IBM stock market and they're paying attention, the I would say. Calls. I, I would right. say they're absolutely, they might not be directly listening, but I think that they're, they're at least paying attention in terms of the market. I think the Fed is always looking at I them. think there's two as, things. As part of there's two things going on. First of all, we had an NFIB small business survey out today, which is just off of record. I mean, record highs, folks. Okay, so um, if we think that this economy is suddenly going downhill, if anything, the Fed is seeing that. They're following on data points that are relevant to them, and then they're going to react. And I, I'm not saying that the fourth quarter is alive and well. I've never said that. I think you could see a lot of this growth front, you know, front run. But I think the Fed will be data dependent, and I think there's no Fed put. And the data suggests, right now at least, that they should continue to move. Now, if the Fed is yeah. looking at the stock market, which I don't think they should, and, you know, when the president talks you about... I don't think they should, well, but do you yeah. think they do? But they do. do. Of course they do. I mean, they can't help but. Yeah. But that should, in my opinion, that shouldn't be one of the, one of the things they look at. It's, I mean, the stock market should live or die on its own. It should have nothing to do with the Fed, in my opinion. That's not exactly Honestly. the case. When you think about where does a lot of consumer, uh, you know, discretionary or their wealth is tied to their holdings in the stock market. So to me, if you had a sharp decline like we saw in January and February in the stock market here, that would clearly weigh on the Fed much more than any commentary, in my belief, that you're going to hear on Q3 conference calls over the next few weeks. All right. Coming up. Starbucks is heating up, and now that billionaire Bill Ackman is jumping into the name, could the rally just be getting started? We will explain. Plus, it's bank purgatory. The sector is stuck in limbo despite rising rates, but are some of the biggest names headed for heaven? Or maybe Bank Inferno? The Ooh. traders will weigh Ooh. in. And later, Pete here just alluded to it moments ago, but there is one being down stock that has fallen 30% from its 52-week high. Something just happened with the name that has him pounding the table. He'll give us his fast pitch. Real life in Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Starbucks getting a jolt of energy today Ooh, after nice. billionaire hedge fund investor Bill Ackman revealed a $900 million stake in the coffee giant. For more on this, let's bring in Leslie Picker at headquarters. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Melissa. You can now eat essentially all day from Bill Ackman's portfolio. You've got Starbucks for breakfast, Burger King for lunch, and Chipotle for dinner, and of course, Oreos for dessert. And you know what? Food and consumer brands broadly have been really paying off for Ackman's firm, Pershing Square. After three consecutive years of losses, the activist fund is up 16 percent this year. Ackman's publicly disclosed investments of 2018, Nike, United Technologies, Lowe's, and now Starbucks, have been followed by very little saber-rattling saber by the billionaire investor. We haven't seen those 300-page PowerPoints, three-hour conference calls, or vicious proxy fights. Today's presentation on Starbucks was complimentary toward management and their strategy, saying they're taking the right steps to boost same-store company sales and that the stock is poised to double in three years. And it doesn't appear that there will be much fighting between Starbucks and Pershing, at least in the near term. For their part, Starbucks says they look forward to maintaining a productive dialogue with Mr. Ackman, as they do with all of their shareholders. Now, to be sure, a source tells me that this will not 
be the end of activism at Pershing Square as we know it. Ackman will do more in the future, but for now, keeping quiet and focused on fundamental stock picking is in focus for the firm, the source says. The Starbucks stake 15.2 million shares owned through futures contracts was revealed at an investor conference that was closed to the press. However, I'm told by someone in attendance that Ackman gave the presentation with a Starbucks drink in his hand, a venti ice tango passion tea, no sugar, Melissa. What a venti ice passion tea. <laughs> Didn't even That's know that was on the menu. That's a thing. I would not admit that. Why would you just bring like a black that. coffee to the thing? Um, do we have <laughs> a sense, Leslie, as to how much, what percentage of his portfolio this is? He disclosed that it was about 10% a couple mo months, weeks ago uh, in an investor call before he disclosed what the position was. So this is that undisclosed position that represented about 10% of his portfolio. And remember, he holds very concentrated positions. So a 10% position is pretty standard, but, but sizable nonetheless. Yep. Leslie, thanks. Leslie Picker, with all the details you need to know about this story, ice, mango, passion. Yeah, that's almost, no I mean, that's a very personal drink, else. obviously. Um, I wouldn't you, get into that. You're in Starbucks still? I'm in Starbucks, and, and I still think after what's been a 25% move off the bottom, the stock, the stock looks still quite interesting on valuation. Trades around 20 times next year, which is... You know, a 20 to 25 multiple range, China is still the story. And also the capital return program, somewhere in, in the odds of 25 billion over the next couple of years for a $75 billion market cap. That's interesting. I stay long. Oh, I thought, at, so, I, thought, I thought you wanted to Dan. jump in. Dan looked really Dan, disturbed by that. I think he still thinks he needs a coffee. Looks like he's a disturbed. By what? I mean, by the drink order? No, I mean, the stock has had this amazing rally off the bottom. I yeah. think everyone in this desk thought it was a buy under 50 bucks briefly. I don't know why anybody would be paying Bill Here. Ackman to buy Starbucks. You know, it just makes no sense to me, especially if you're not going to go activist. And then the last thing, we've all read the book. You know, Scott Wapner's When the Wolves Bite book. Yeah. about the Herbalife thing. Read that, and you're like, oh, maybe I don't want to follow this guy. So you're, you're, you just think well, it's bizarre that the market is trading up on the Ackman well, announcement. Well, to be fair, the, the stock initially traded up more than 4%. It was yeah. up more than 4% and then paired its gains. I mean, I mean, we saw that before with the last Bill Ackman stake. I think it was in Chipotle, where you saw the stock go up. Chipotle. And then we saw it pull back, maybe in the realization, to your uh, point, you, that this him. may not be the guy you want to follow in. Yeah, you know, I don't know. He's, he th I think what he said is going to double over the next three years, three years. or something, right? Could. You could say could double. Yeah. And with, I think he obviously hopes to double. And you may I, grow some of that hair back. And I might grow some. Right. That yeah. ain't happening either. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that I was might, his point. But my, and I don't know if it's 22 times forward earnings. Like I'm not sure it's jokes. as cheap as, it, right? as, as yeah. you think it the might hair be. Hair jokes aren't funny. You don't yeah. see. Yeah. You know, hair jokes aren't funny. They're not that funny. Not I think they're great. Don't, they don't, have, don't go there. <laughs> they don't have the EPS growth, I think, that backs up this valuation. I think it could rally a little bit more from here, but I think you're sort of in deep end of And I agree with Guy, and I'll say it really quick. I had the stock until a week ago. I got out. I will not buy it again until it gets back towards that $50 number because uh -huh. I think that range is where we're stuck right now for Starbucks. All right. The name, by the way, also hot in the options pit. So, Dan, what'd you see? Yeah, a lot of short-dated call buying, specifically in the weeklies. Call volume is two times that of puts. And really, interestingly, it looked to be all traders. In the October 59 weekly, October 12th calls, 20,000 traded. The largest print of the day was a buy of 4,000. About 30 minutes after the announcement, after the pop, the stock got up to about 59 and a half. Came down to 57.70. Somebody bought 4,000 of these for 24 cents. There's the day chart right there. This is literally a trader trying to press for a move higher, possibly to 60 by the end of the week. All right, for more options action, you can check out the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time.
For more on Bill Ackman's big bet on Starbucks, you can head over to CNBC.com, by the way. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. Rising rates are supposed to help financials, but the banks have still gotten crushed. We'll tell you what it could mean for the market. Plus, Pete's bringing the heat, pitching one tech titan that's down 12% this year. But you won't believe how high he sees it going. The name when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's a bank purgatory. Despite what should feel like nirvana for the financials, they seem to be stuck in limbo. So how far away is bank heaven? The devil, of course, in the details. Let's get to Dom Chu to wow. break it down. Hey, Tom. Well, Melissa, the easiest way to say it is that the banks have a pretty long way to go before reaching those pearly gates. The bank stocks have been a big focus given the recent rise in interest rates with the 10-year U.S. Treasury note yield pulling back a little bit today, but still hovering right around the highest levels in seven years. Now, some of the traditional and conventional wisdom is that higher rates are good for the bank stocks. That's not exactly playing out this time around. Over the course of the last one month, J.P. Morgan Chase shares up a little less than a percent. We're going to stick with the money center banks. Look at Bank of America, which is actually down by almost 3% in that span. Wells Fargo, meanwhile, is down around 6% during that time. And regional banking power PNC Financial down around just over 2%, we'll call it. Now, one of the big reasons could lie not just with the level of interest rates, but the difference between longer-term rates and shorter-term ones, the term structure, the yield curve, whatever you want to call it, that gap, it's got to be either steepening or re remaining relatively flat, at least. It's steeper than it has been in the past, but still flattish on a relative basis. The banks are going to be a key focus for traders in the coming weeks with earnings season, of course, kicking off. The financials have been a notable laggard in the overall market. So, Melissa, if they can somehow turn around, it could be fuel for a possible leg higher or maybe still a drag. Back over to you guys. All right, Dom. Thanks, Dom. Chu in the newsroom. <laughs> so are all of these names doomed to wander in purgatory or perhaps something worse? Or could they attain salvation and rise to the sacred heights of bank heaven? Feels like a game. It does. Uh, right? We will let the traders decide. Uh, in a new game we are calling a Bank Heaven or Bank Inferno. <laughs> now, it seems like this would be very straightforward. Bank Heaven or Bank better Inferno. Better than the Red Duck. Um, but let's see how this is going to work. Let's take J.P. Morgan, for example. If a trader thinks that J.P. Morgan will make a turnaround, you will see and hear this. Saintly angel harps. It's green, meaning buy. The stock is going to Bank Heaven. It all makes if a trader sense. thinks there's no saving one of these names, you'll see and hear this. 
Oh, Look at that wow. red devil. The stock will be doomed to burn in the hellfires of Bank inform Inferno. All right, I'm so let's start off with Here's that example. Pete, yeah. it's on your shoulders. J.P. Morgan, Bank Heaven or Bank Total Heaven. Now? Absolute wow. heaven. First wow. of all, you start off with a company that's basically kept up with the S&P. Nobody else has. <laughs> and you, over the last week or so, it's actually even held in there. Dom was showing us the chart there. Jamie, Jamie Dimon's as good as it gets. This is a company that had record profits last quarter. And if you look at their earnings and their revenue growth, it's still very strong. I think this thing is the greatest. I've, I own the stock. Are, I think it's in heaven. Are you worried about mortgage originations coming down? No. One month, three month LIBOR spreads have, have Everybody's actually collapsed. Bringing that up. I mean, I, there's a lot of stuff going I on. I think there are other aspects of their businesses that are doing so well, I think that can balance out. Credit cards being one of them. Are you worried that it's being, it's one of the best performing bank stocks and in a market downturn, that's the first one where investors will take profits? Uh, I don't know that they would. I think they okay. would go take profits other places. And I think if, if they did, I think it's a great opportunity to buy. The next stock is Wells Fargo. Dan, Bank Heaven or Bank Inferno? Oh, let me guess. Well, Inferno. I, and, and, and I actually well, have a very good reason Shock. because there's I actually surprise. think one of the best pair trades in the market could be long <laughs> J.P. Morgan, short sure. Wells Fargo, because I think you don't want this someone that obviously has regulatory scrutiny, a lot of it. They've had no shortage of scandals. But when you think about consumer lending, you think about some of the things that are going on that like cyclically could be going on in our economy. These guys are very exposed, so loan growth, um, you know, Auto, auto loans, that sort of thing. I, I don't. I want to stay away from this one. It's down 12% in the year, down 20% from its 52-week highs. They report Friday morning. I think you can wait. I think you want to take a shot if it could hold 50. What do you say on WFC? I would agree with Dan. I would be sort oh, of the seller. I mean, I think there's still headline risk. And not that it's impacted the stock wall that much, but you can have a couple more negative headlines in the tape we're seeing. I agree. I think you sell wells by JPM. Oh, we need to keep that picture of Dan and the devil <laughs> for other, other I think shows. We should put him in the well, I make one more point, and this is about the whole segment. Right, here we go. It also trades uh, 1.4 times after me. Much more expensive than we're probably going to get the city and Bank of America. I don't know why you'd be long this one at that time. Because they don't have a, I own the stock as well, and I actually think that's the opportunity. Is I think when you look for the upside right Wells now. Fargo for you. I like Wells Fargo, and I also think there, there's going to be changes at the top. That's what they need, and when that happens, that's why Warren Buffett continues to hold it. Look at that. Next stock, Bank of America. Tim, heaven or inferno? It's absolutely heaven. This balance sheet is heaven. This capital return program is heaven. These guys have never given more capital back to investors. And the valuation at this point is at the bottom of a historical range. So, uh, all right, I, I, the things I just talked about that I'm worried about with J.P. Morgan, I'm worried about for all the money center banks. But I can stay in here. This is a, a heavenly time to be a Bank of America investor because they're actually paying me to hold the stock. And the valuation is very, very cheap. You guys have been You're saying this now. all year, and they're just massively underperforming. They just don't work, you know. So what are you waiting for here? You know, we had uh, we had the two tests strategy was going to invert. Now wind out here. I'm not day trading I mean, this thing. I, 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 I own I, the stock, okay. and I'm going to stay. And I feel very good about management. I feel good about this, the the levers they have to the global economy. You think the world's coming to an end? I do I, not. I, I do not think the world's coming to an end. I don't think this is a market where you actually want to be digging into underperformers. There's a devil. Fork in the road is bring that devil up. I want to move on to the next stock. <laughs> I think yeah. I understand this game. I'm not sure he does. Devil is bad. Devil's Angel is good. It's pretty straightforward. Telescope coming up. Uh, PNC, Heaven or Inferno, guys. Do you remember the, the song by, remember Tavares? Yes. Not Frank Tavares. Heaven must be missing an angel. Heaven must be missing an angel. How Maybe good the is angel that? they're missing is PNC Financial. Thank you for the angel wings there. And what, listen, 
Are they rich on valuation? One and a half times price to book. So oh. Dan would say, yeah, this is a little expensive. But nine and a half, ten times EPS growth, trades around ten and a half times forward earnings. They're going to file to be able to buy back some more stock. Significantly lower than the all-time high it made earlier this year. Held 137 and a half, which was the low we saw in the spring. Don't give me the, the yeah, wind it up, it big up. boy. Give me the, the Saturday Night soundtrack. Still ahead, your Bernie Bond questions answered. Fidelity's Jeannie Thompson tells you everything you need to know about your 401k during the bond exodus and the big mistake you could be making right now. Plus, Pina Jarian's going all in on one bean down stock. You won't believe what it is. Rumor has it Carl Icahn also likes it. He's going to step up to the plate to give us his fast pitch. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Pina Jarian is so excited about this next segment. He got out of his seat, ran over to the plaza. He's got an epic fast pitch. So, Pete, take it away. I'm going to give you eBay. This is a pretty interesting one because this is a stock that has not been performing, but I'm going to tell you why exactly I like this stock. When you look at the CEO, he has been absolutely laser focused. Now, this is a gentleman who's been with the company since 2007 or 2011, 2015, took over as the CEO. He was the president. The focus on improving the platform to be more competitive is something they're still working on, and obviously it's going to take a little bit of time, but they are trying to get back into that game to attack at Amazon. That's exactly what they should be doing. They're actually investing the money to do that. The fundamental story I love, in the last five years, they've bought back 24% of their outstanding shares. They're taking in a lot of cash. What are they doing with a lot of that cash? They're actually moving some of it for the improvements of the platform. The other is this share buyback program they've had on for a very long period of time. Trades at 13 times earnings. I like the fundamental side of what this company's doing right now. The double-digit growth, when you look at earnings, you look at revenue, you look at the GMV, all of that double-digit growth at eBay. Now, they've had some struggles, and a lot of the time that's been because some of the analysts out there have had those numbers so high, they haven't been able to reach some of those numbers. The stock has sold off. It sold off in April, again in July. But we've seen this stock start to show a little something right here. I think it's at a base. Maybe not, but I bought it today at 33. I literally just bought this stock today. I'll be holding it for a while. I like the management, and I like the fundamental story. May I have a question for Pete? You Jerry? may ask a question, Guy. Hi, Pete. Hey. Pete, what do you make of this, some of the Carl Icahn whispers that's out there about potentially taking a stake in eBay? Yeah, and that's pretty interesting. And Dan was talking about some of that stuff with Starbucks, and obviously that a lot of that option paper that we saw in there today was obviously connected to some of that. I think when you look at what's going on, Carl, in terms of people trying to position in eBay, some of those stories that are out there, there was a lot of option activity in eBay as well. I just look at where they are right now, Guy, fundamentally. Whether there's an activist, whether somebody wants to put money in in that type of style. I think it makes some sense, but I don't think we can trade off of that because we just don't know. All right. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying or selling Pete's pitch on eBay? Tim, what do you say? Love you, Pete, but don't love eBay. Oh, I'm sorry. Wow. That's okay. you know, second quarter results. I actually think that will carry on into the third, and I think the valuation, not in this, mar not in this environment. Valuation? It, it <laughs> trades below a market multiple. He just told you they're growing earnings and sales double digits. Not based upon the growth they gave in the second quarter. The guidance was mild. I don't think we're getting that. Okay, well, here's the thing, Here's the thing, Tim. Yeah, it's not. Do. I want to I buy. Answer. I buy. PT Bay. And I got to tell you something. You know, last yeah. year, 2017, they made a big push in structuring their unstructured data, right? And they're using, you know, all this stuff, maybe, you know, the AI, this, whatever. Think about what Amazon just told us, what they're earning in uh, advertising fees, right, from search data and stuff on their platform. So this is one I think makes a lot of sense. 
What do you, you say? You know, Dan yeah. cheated off me again because look what um, I wrote. Can you rotate e that? Can you rotate? Oh, did it backwards? What did you do? Yes. Thank you. eBay, eBay. No. So, you didn't. What did you write? He I said, said I, I buy, buy eBay. I think the move from 45 to 32 is overdone. I think valuation is compelling. They report, I think, on October 17th. I think they got sucked down with all these payment stocks. I think you're going to see a bounce in the earnings. All right. So there. Well, I want to know. Everybody wants to know. What you think out there? So, are you buying Pete's pitch for eBay? You can vote now in our Twitter oh, poll. No so you voted. can see Fast oh, Money. We will reveal the results obvious. later on in the show. It looks like a whopping no Ooh, so oh. far, but you can change that outcome. Plus, worried about the bond exodus? Of course you are. Stick around because Fidelity's 401k expert will join us to answer your burning bond questions. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert and a couple of activist moves this hour uh, in the after hour session. Let's get to Leslie Picker for the details. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. Some more details on PPG and Tryon. This is the coatings and paint manufacturer. Uh, we've learned that uh, Tryon now owns about 7 million shares of PPG valued at about 690 million uh, as of October 9th. As of today, that represents about 2.9% of PPG's outstanding shares. That's different uh, from the numbers that we saw earlier in the 13F filing that was dated June 30th. So they've significantly upped their stake since then. Not exactly clear exactly when they boosted their stake, but we know now that as of today, they hold about 690 million shares of PPG, not to be confused with PNG, which is the company that Tryon read a proxy fight at last year. Uh, also in activism news, third point upping its stake in Campbell's uh, from 5.65% to 6.9%. 8%. So a lot of moves in the activism world uh, to tell you about today, Melissa. All right, Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker at headquarters. Campbell Soup, this is a staple that trades at an above market multiple with a 3.7% dividend yield. Above market multiple. There's also an 18% short interest. I think maybe the stock troughed back in April, May when it traded down, I think, 32 or so on huge volume. So maybe the worst is over. Look, a lot of people are saying they don't make the brands that people want to eat anymore. I still love Campbell's soup. Campbell's chunky mm -hmm, soup good. does it for me, but I'm not their target audience. You got to get not. into the whole health food thing. They haven't done it quickly enough. However, you could see a bounce just on short covering on the back of these names. I don't think that's what they're in it for, but if you're looking to trade it, I do think the worst is. Do they make is over. spaghettios? No, they don't. I don't think they make spaghetti. You should never eat spaghettios. You know, Why? a couple of Italian cracks tonight. And the third one, I'm going to come over oh. there and crack you. I didn't even How did that turn that? into an Italian crack? Spaghettios. Oh, spaghettios. spaghettios. Oh, spaghettios. Oh, spaghettios. Oh, Can we go Campbell's soup? Where's the baby one more comment on Campbell's soup. It's more than double the S&P 500 PE, actually. Yeah. yeah, and which seems awfully steep to me. So that, that would be one more reason to maybe stay away. And the fact that they're not really in the right category any longer. All right, let's switch gears now. Rates are rising. And even if you don't own a bond, chances are you own a lot of bond funds in your 401k. So what questions should you be asking right now about your precious nest egg? <laughs> Jeannie Thompson, Senior Vice President of Workplace Investment at Fidelity, joins us now from Boston. Welcome back, Jeannie. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Melissa. Great to be here. Well, first of all, um, investors have to know what their time frame, right? Because the last time you were here, you were saying that people aren't aggressive enough um, even well into your working years when it comes to owning stocks, correct? That's correct, yeah. I mean, when you're looking at bond funds, you really have to you know, think about your time horizon. So when you're young, you're say you're 25, right out of school, you start working, you've got almost 40 years to work. And so in that case, you really want to be vested more in equities and less in bonds. 
a typical tar target date fund like the Fidelity Freedom Funds at age 25, it's only 10% in bond funds. By the time you get to 40, it's still only about 14%. And by the time you get to 60, it's 40% in bond funds. By age 75, that's when you get to over 50% in bond funds. Um, and you have to know what your risk tolerance is. Even within the bond world, I thought all bonds were safe. No, no, not all bonds are created equal. Um, you really have to think about, you know, first of all, you want to be able to sleep at night. And so if you can't sleep at night, then you probably are too weighted in equities or high yield bonds. You really want to look at the different types of bonds. Um, and then, you know, your risk tolerance is really a function of your age. So as you're getting closer to retirement, um, you may want to increase the bonds because if you don't have any guaranteed income or you don't have retiree health care, then you may want to conserve more of your portfolio. Um, the different types of bonds, you know, there's corporate bonds, there's government bonds, and high yield bonds, which are the most risky. And, and that's knowing the type of bond funds that you should be in. But there's also another component to this, Jeannie, and that is the duration, right? I mean, it might be tempting to say, I want to buy a 10-year bond right now, but in a rising interest rate environment, that may not be your best play. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in, within most 401k plans, you can mo really only buy bond funds um, as opposed to, you know, actual bonds. And what we see most employers, about 95% of employers offer an intermediate term bond fund. So exactly to your point, you may not want to go into the long term, but those intermediate uh, term bond funds are multi-sector. So they have, you know, corporate treasuries and mortgage in there. So they're diversified within that bond fund. And so that's a really good option for a 401k investor. All right, Jeannie, great to see you. Thanks a lot for your advice. Yeah. Jeannie Thompson Thank you. of Fidelity. Um, in a rising interest rate environment, right, you probably want to be on the, sh in general, shorter term bonds. Well, you, you certainly you don't have to be, you want to be concerned about your, your duration. You also yeah. actually could be in floating rate notes, which actually have a lot of flexibility in an environment like this. It's a good time to actually be looking at credit, actually, because I think that's where you can actually pick up nice yields. In terms of where we see yields going, though, I think, I think 10 year charts? top side of 3.5%. I think the two year catches up. I think this yield curve, which has been steepening, narrows again by the end of the year. So we go flat. Do we I go don't know about flat, but I think we're going to get, what are we, about 38 by the end of the year? Now? Where, where are we now? 328? Uh, 323. Do you think we go to 350 by the end of the year? That's, that's aggressive. I think and I think that would not be good for equity. I think in this environment it could happen. I think two years going to get dragged up as well. Which leads to Bank Inferno. Ugh. What? Bank Inferno. Well, the velocity Planet of that move to three and a half would, would certainly, I think, rattle the markets pretty pretty strong. And I think Bank we'd Inferno. see that volatility start to come right back into the market and get yeah. probably closer to 20 or 22 if we get somewhere in there. All right. Still ahead. Speaking of rising rates, here's a sneak peek into the Mad Money studio. Kramer's got a plan for you if interest rates go up, down, or nowhere at all. we got more on that top of the hour. Plus, media titan Michael Burns just bet big on his own stock, buying 50,000 shares of Lionsgate. You know what? The last time he bought... Shares rallied more than 250%. Should you buy the stock, too? He will join us next. We are live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Beverly Hills, that's where media moguls want to be. Our Julia Borson joins us live from Vanity Fair's fifth annual New Establishment Summit, where the biggest names in technology, media, and entertainment are meeting this week. Hey, Julia, what's going on? Well, Melissa, there's been a lot of talk here about the Vanity Fair Summit, about the convergence of media and technology from CEOs on all sides. Disney CEO Bob Iger spoke this morning. He talked about leadership. He said he's definitely not running for president. 
He said he's working to continue Disney's tradition of storytelling and combine that with the latest technology. He showed a clip of the new Lion King. It was so high tech, it looked like it was live action animals. Uber CEO Dara Khosrowshahi talked about his emphasis on safety, acknowledging that maybe the company grew too quickly. Now he says he's focused on growing Uber's primary business as well as food delivery, saying that grocery delivery could be a natural next way to expand. As for talk of driverless cars, he also said the idea that automation is going to replace people is totally wrong. And just a few minutes ago, Netflix's content chief, Ted Sarandos, he was asked how Netflix can afford its big content deals. It's reportedly paying Ryan Murphy $300 million over four years and Shonda Rhimes $100 million over three years. Take a listen. Well, it's not that different than they would have than what happens in television. Um, you figure a, a, t a studio network would be paying them a percentage of their advertising and, uh, and carriage revenue, and we're just paying a percentage of our subscription revenue. What we can help them do is size the project. So we have uh, enough years of, of, of performance data of different shows to know with, with I'm not saying with, uh, per perfectly, but with better than most, the ability to say this is going to be a big show, a medium show, a small show. Sarandos also said that Netflix does not want to cover news, but that they will cover this news cycle in a few years in a documentary series, but they aren't going to get into it right now. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, thanks so much. Julia Borson out in Los Angeles. Um, where, where do you go here? There are a lot of different players that Julia highlighted. And Netflix. I mean, I okay. think the worst is over for Netflix. They're going to report in a couple weeks, I think. And, you know, you saw that push down to the low levels we saw back in March before they had that huge run over north of 400, retraced it. Back up again, I think Netflix is the place to be. You know, the, the concerns right now is about Netflix's balance sheet. Um, in well, a it's, rise one rate. <laughs> it's one concern. I mean, subscriber well, growth is, is the other concern. I mean, the stock lost 10% of its value after it reported last quarter because they missed yep. subscriber expectations by 1 million. So, you know, really, it's going to be patchy internationally, and that's where they're going to get all their growth. So this company was up, you know, 85% uh, on the year. And it's still, right. So I, I think the... the the move is to the downside because the expectations are now too high, especially in terms of their content creation. I think the balance sheet is an issue, but the, the multiple doesn't make sense when, when Amazon is bearing down, when Hulu is bearing down. I mean, the competition to me is not going away. It's getting stronger, and I don't know why these guys are supposed to win with this multiple. I don't know. Disney, I think, continues to be something you should own and must own. Yeah. And anytime you get these drop drops, especially if you get under 100, it's a buy. I mean, it's been a pitch stock multiple times on this show. I know that. And I'm one of the guys who's owned it for a while. One of you guys, I, I think, it. might. You own it as well. That's a stock, Mel. When you look at it, everybody wanted to kill it because of the whole ESPN thing. And now suddenly sports is back. And ESPN is, I think, making a huge comeback. When you look at some of these numbers this year, pretty impressive. No one's mentioned Lionsgate so far. Oh. Because he's coming. Well, we want to wait. Here. Our next guest is a media <laughs> titan who bet big on his own stock. Let's welcome Michael Burns, vice chairman of Lionsgate. Nice to see you, Melissa. Nice to and see everyone. you, Mike. Great to have you. 50,000 shares. Yeah, I, I bought a little stock in the Why? market. Well, I, I believe in the company, and I believe in the momentum that we're seeing, particularly if you take a look at stars uh, globally, if you look at the domestic uh, uh, growth that we're seeing, I feel very strongly that Joe Drake and Nathan Cahane are going to do a terrific job in the film business. And if you look at the scripted business run by Kevin Beggs on the television side, uh, we have 38 active scripts in uh, scripted television shows in development. That's a record for us. So I feel very bullish. Uh, you bought September 25th, I believe, and since then it's up 9%. The last time you bought Lionsgate shares uh, was June 6, 2011. That's up 273% since outperformed the S&P 500 by at least a double. 
Uh, do you think your stock is undervalued compared to some of the other media content stocks out there, given all the consolidation talk? I'm not going to be, you know, talk about the other valuations because some of them have P's, some of them don't, some of them have enormous growth. You know, 2011 and 2018, my father would have said that was a long time between drinks. Uh, I would say that uh, uh, I, I know this company extremely well. I think uh, my partner, our CEO, John Feldheimer, and I have uh, been around a long time, and, and we feel like uh, we're at a great place. If you look at uh, what I think the street is missing uh, is that uh, it, it, the international play for stars. Uh, we launched uh, with Amazon in the U.K. and Germany. We also announced uh, that uh, we'll have an imminent, imminent launch, launches in Spain, Italy, and France, and I think there are going to be a lot of countries right behind that. And we believe that you know there's no reason for us uh, to doubt the idea in our minds, uh, which is that our our international business on the star side will be as big as our domestic. Um, who do you think is your toughest OTT competitors out there? The landscape has changed a little bit since the last time we talked. I, I think that we can be one of the three, four, five OTT go-to platforms. And we're seeing that. If you take a look at the success we've had with Star Play Arabia, for example, we're the leader in that space with over a million subs. And so we think that the, the combination of Stars and Lionsgate was a unique combination that enabled us to do something that, that a lot of places can't do, a lot of, a lot of companies can't do. You have 17,000 titles in the library, and then on top of that, you have this, uh, this platform called Stars. The combination is very powerful. What do you think investors don't understand about OTT, particularly international? I think that there seems to be, at least in this country, sort of this North American-centric view of OTT and what it can be, and they don't acknowledge that perhaps India could be the next big market or well, it Europe. Be India, it could be China, it could be Europe, it could be Asia. Um, again, I look at what we've launched and, and what the results are. I can tell you that we're very encouraged with the early results out of the UK and Germany. We've seen 10% weekly growth. That's a good number. And so, and again, you have to, have to price this service correctly, uh, the same way that we're doing domestically. So I'm, I, again, I'm encouraged. And I think that's a, a great bullish case. I think the street's missing. Is it a land grab at this point? First in, you get the customers, low price, you lock them in? Yeah, well, you know, two of the only things I remember from business school, I hate to say that, but uh, would be first mover advantage. Uh, and, uh, and, and there is a first mover and there's a second and there's a third mover. And then after that, it gets more difficult. And I think we're in the, uh, and I also think the barrier to entry, that's the second thing I remember from school, which is the barrier to entry is who has the capacity to do what we're, what we're doing. Again, this giant library at the same time with the STARS platform. Uh, which is expanding globally, and there aren't a lot of players in that space. Michael, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for Nice your time. to see you all. Michael Burns, Vice Chairman of Lionsgate. One of the first guests we ever had. This That's show, true. how well, this show's going to be 12 years old, and we talk about this all the time. Do you remember time. that fight that we had? It was on epic. Air? Many, with multiple with times. Carl with Carl Icahn, when the stock was six and a half dollars or so, and I think we all sided with Mr. Burns. We all wound up being right. He wound up being right in a major way. And when he bets on his stock, people talk about this. You know, anytime somebody puts their money where their mouth is, you got to be behind it. They just re-signed their director of distribution, which I think is a big deal that nobody's talking about. I think Lion Gates goes higher. You love the insider buying. Oh, man, when it, as soon as I see it, something like that, yeah. I mean, I, I think it really stands out. And, I mean, that's one of the things that made Jamie Dimon think about when he, back when he bought Steve J.P. Wynn. Morgan, Steve Wynn. Talked about it how many times on this show? God, Steve Wynn bought more stock. He just kept doing it. When I see something like this, i got to tell you something. I love seeing that. That's commitment. Well, you know, Michael talked about the international opportunity. Again, their distribution partner is Amazon Prime. And so, you know, he talked about how important that is. I, I just, you know, 
that is very important, and it's also key, the consolidation in the industry. He's often told us he's agnostic on who. So we'll see. Quick last uh, real word. quickly, one of the best shows on TV in the last year was on Stars. It was Counterpart, and that's mm. the point. A couple more hits like that, and this company with a $5 billion market cap is going to be on the short list for takeovers. Up next, final trades. You know you can buy on eBay. Tony Braxton. Oh, oh, Tony sorry, Braxton. Sad. Final trade, Pete. Lionsgate, he bought iBuy. Boom. Tim. Bank of America, be in heaven. <laughs> yeah, Friday, if these banks can't rally, sell the XLF. Key. Twitter, quiet rally going on. That does it for us. See you back here at 5 for more Fast. Mad Money starts right now. Imagine you're on a John Deere mower with a smooth ride, intuitive controls, and attachments for every season. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.